Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Take it, shoot that, shoot that. We're going in the middle. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the NBA Media Week special episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFAN.com, and folks, we're less than three weeks away from opening night, and a very special opening night it'll be, with the Nets hosting the Warriors on national TV, and then three days later, they're back on Christmas Day with a 5 p.m. matchup in Boston. Hmm. Warriors and the Celtics. Wonder how the folks in the league scheduling office came up with that, huh? Anyway, 20 guys are on this Brooklyn Nets preseason roster, but we really don't know when or if we'll be seeing major changes to it. As of now, James Harden isn't here. Bradley Beal isn't here. Serge Ibaka never had a chance to come here. Hell, Nicholas Batum isn't here, and I'll get into that last one in a little bit. And also hoping that Nothing happens between the time I'm recording this and the time you're listening to it on WFN.com and Radio.com. But you know who is here? Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. By all accounts, healthy and ready to go. And that should have all of you folks excited. So in this episode, I'll break down how all the pieces will fit around them. And to help me with that, I'll be joined by a returning guest of this podcast, the talented young writer from The Athletic, Alex Schiffer, will be calling in soon. Also got a couple of questions in during the opening two days of Nets Media Week, so I'll share those clips with you. And finally, I'll tackle the questions you sent me on Twitter in the first listener mailbag segment of the new league year. So all in all, should be a full show. Again, thank you all for tuning in on whatever platform you're using as the station works around the issue with getting this podcast back on Apple Podcasts, and I really, really appreciate your support. But getting back to the Nets, nothing of substance happened since I talked to you last week before the Thanksgiving holiday. Hope you all had a safe and happy one, by the way. (laughs) The Nets loaded up even more on guards bringing back Tyler Johnson and Chris Chioza in free agency resignings. By my count, let's see, Kyrie Irving, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Bruce Brown, Landry Shamit, Tyler Johnson, Chris Chioza, and two-way Jeremiah Martin. Don't forget him. That's eight guards. And that's not including Joe Harris, who can play there in big lineups. That's a lot of guards. Why so many? 
I personally still think GM Sean Marks has something up his sleeve, whether it gets done before or during the season. I mean, personally, I really can't see Dinwiddie lasting the year, you know, with the likelihood that he'll be opting out after the season and looking for big money in free agency. My guess is that Marks is still searching for an upgrade, you know, where he'll have to give up some of his quantity to add that kind of quality. Ergo, you need extra depth in the backcourt. You know, there's still time before we see how Steve Nash is going to handle the glut in the backcourt and the rotations. But I'm going to save the parlor games for my chat with Alex Schiffer because he wrote a pretty interesting article on the subject in The Athletic. And one question I'll be sure to ask him is where he heard that Nash is considering Levert for a six-man role instead of in the starting five. Assuming Dinwiddie makes it to opening night, I would think Nash would want him back where he's had the most success. You know, like when he finished in the running for the league six man of the year award a couple of years ago. Anyway, I see this season as another golden opportunity for Levert to take one more next step in his development. Maybe not stats-wise, but certainly with his efficiencies. I mean, there's no reason for him to take all the bad shots he took like in the bubble when there are now so many other weapons on the court. I mean, no one's sloughing off KD to help on a Levert drive like when Rodion's Karutz or TLC was at that spot in Orlando. Sure, you know, Cavs is going to have to improve his catch-and-shoot numbers, but he'll have the time and space to do just that. And defensively, I'm hoping Jacques Vaughn, who Nash named as the Nets' defensive coordinator, so to speak, and allow the Nets to play more aggressively and let Levert use his length to try to generate more turnovers... DeAndre Jordan sort of hinted at that when he spoke on the subject yesterday, saying that when Vaughn took over for Kenny Atkinson in March, Nets made some tweaks in their defensive scheme. I had a follow-up question on how KD's presence would affect their defense, but uh, unfortunately Nets PR didn't call on me. However, I did get the chance to ask Tyler Johnson a question, and it was about Karis LeVert. So here's the clip. I wanted to ask you got a good look at what Karis LeVert can be in the bubble. Uh, what did you learn from that that you might not have known going in? I didn't know. I didn't know how consistent he was. Um, you know, in the bubble, he was putting it. He was putting it in uh, every game. You know, he had a couple slow starts and then turned it around and and was a finisher as well. Was hitting you know clutch shots and just. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people who can play within the flow of the game, and then when it gets down to that fourth quarter and it gets time to, to make those plays and uh, down the stretch, you know, they kind of fade away or they defer, and, you know, he wants those moments, he wants those shots, and being around him and, you know, hearing the way he speaks, it's like uh, you can't help but root for that guy. That was Nets guard Tyler Johnson, who also said he decided to stay in Brooklyn despite all the guards here because, and I quote, it's very rare when there's a team that wants you that's also in a position to win a championship. So that's one ring chaser Mark Scott. Though I guess Johnson's only 28. Maybe a more important piece to the puzzle, at least in my opinion, was the signing of Jeff Green, who I guess takes the place of China-bound Wilson Chandler on the Nets roster. And before I talk about Green... Here's what Nash said when I asked him about his new versatile forward. 
Hi, Steve. Uh, I just want to ask you about uh, the acquisition of Jeff Green and how that impacts uh, the different type of variety of lineups that you can have uh, on the court at any given moment. Well, he, we first of all, we we get a you know an incredible vet in our locker room who's uh, you know just has a, a great way about him. Uh, incredible person, personality to help lead and 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 give us that. That, that veteran presence uh, as far as on the floor he's obviously very versatile and he's a player that came into the league as a perimeter player but now I think you know he possibly his best position is at center and um, so he gives you that small ball five so uh, you know he, he's it's a pleasure to be able to coach him to have him fit into our group to help him uh, you know get on board as quickly as possible uh, is, is a pleasure because he is such a great guy and he brings a different profile to our team. Again, that was Nets coach Steve Nash on Jeff Green. Look, you know, I've talked a lot about the roster imbalance, not just recently, but also throughout Marx's tenure. I mean, here you have a guy who's versatile enough to play multiple positions, shot 34% from three last season, well ahead of Chandler's 31%, by the way. And, you know, I guarantee you the Nets are going to pigeonhole him as a small ball five. And I don't want to hear that he's a small ball five. You know, my article on WFAN.com this week was about how the Nets might be relying too much on KD defensively because who else on this roster can guard all the league's talented big forwards? And that includes guys like Ben Simmons and LeBron James, you know, the guys who are really guards in a power forward's body. Tell me, who? Who's going to guard them? Torian Prince? Karutz? TLC? Give me a break. And before you judge me, I'm not really talking about the regular season. I'm talking about the playoffs. When one mismatch can put a team down double digits in a hurry. You know, as I mentioned at the top, the Nets didn't land Batum either. And I know it's not the end of the world. I mean, he couldn't even get time on a lousy Charlotte team last season. You know, probably because his three point rate plummeted at 28.6%. But he's a six foot nine, 230 pound body who understands how to get into opponents on defense. So I'm going to be watching to see how Nash uses Green this preseason and whether Marks will force him to continue with this smallish identity that, you know, I really think is doomed to fail, at least when it comes to winning a championship. Now to talk more predictions as to how Nash will manage this roster, let's turn it over to my special guest this week, the Nets reporter from The Athletic, Alex Schiffer. Well, folks, I'm so pleased to have this special guest make a return appearance on the City Game podcast, a very talented young writer who covers the Nets for The Athletic. Mr. Alex Schiffer is back. Well, Alex, and thank you so much for giving me some time today, and how have you been? I've been good. It's it's weird. If it, everyone talked about having such a short off season. It, it's weird to be talking to you right after Thanksgiving with the start of the season coming up, or I guess in it, if you want to count preseason, with, with the bubble just ending. So, uh Good. We're all trying to stay sane over here at, at my house, but uh, you know, definitely a weird feeling right now with all this. And of course, virtual media week used to all congregate for one, you know, for maybe four hours. Now we have to space it out over like six days. Uh, keeps you busy, though, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's been uh, it's been a crazy week. Uh, I'm so glad you could join me because I really wanted to talk to you about the article you wrote the other day on the Nets rotation. Uh, you know, I'm a loyal subscriber since the beginning, right? 
Yes, I know. Yes, you've been a long time reader. I always appreciate that. So you anyway, like you. I, I thought we could go back and forth a little, but mostly want to get your reasoning on some of the choices, like you know, going in reverse order. I guess in your closing lineup, you have Bruce Brown on the court, but not Joe Harris. That's eighteen million dollar a year, Joe Harris. So I'm going to have to ask you to explain that one. Yeah, you know, um, um. With the the whole, the whole let me just start with this. It was a really difficult thing to write because the the whole thing in general. Just because as you look at this roster right now, um, you know, there's so many guys that can play, and I just don't see a world in which everybody is happy. Um, and and I, I was trying to divide, you know, going through. I was trying to divide, you know, the roughly 242 minutes or so up by about nine, ten guys, and I I found I found that to be extremely difficult. And didn't even like um, didn't even like some of the numbers that came down to. But you know, I, I just look at this as we don't know um, we don't know who is gonna what Kevin Durant is gonna look like, especially the uh, you know physically and defensively. I mean, I think his shooting hasn't lost a touch. But I, I looked at it as you want your two best players on the court with Kyrie and Durant. You know, last year I, I wrote a story back in February, if you remember, which feels like years ago, but. Around January, February, DeAndre Jordan was the one that was playing in a lot of crunch time minutes for the Nets, more so than Jared Allen. Um, Jared Allen won me over in the bubble, and I thought that he and his play maybe warranted him getting a shot in some of those crunch time situations, especially the way he carried himself in the bubble as the only big. Um, and, and I just looked at with it, Bruce, with Bruce Brown over Joe Harris – you know, Joe, as good of a shooter as he is, he's never hit a game winner. Uh, not to say that Bruce Brown has, but I, I, I think for spacing purposes, he makes a ton of sense. But I, I felt like Brown being probably the team's best on-ball defender right now, just based on what we know, I mean, you'd probably want your best defender out there in some capacity, right? And, and I, uh, I, I completely understand the argument for having Joe over him completely. Um, I just think the biggest question with this team in general is who's going to defend and who's going to be the guy that gets stops. And it seems like that trade for Bruce Brown was made for him to, him to give them impact minutes defensively. So I, I completely understand your argument, Steve. I'm not walking away from that. Um, well, I just, um, I'm, worried yeah. more, I'm worried more about the shooting. I mean, are they going to be playing four on five? I mean, you know there are teams – that left TLC open until he proved he could hit it. And many times, you know, certain games he did, certain games he didn't. You know, we're playing, you know, Nets will be playing more meaningful contests. And are you going to want to have a 30% three-point shooter in the corners, you know, instead of Joe Harris? You know, I think, I I personally think that this will be more of a, a situation where you have to go with your best five offensive players. I, I agree. I, I, I think that's a very fair case. Um, and I think, you know, in general, I mean, I think a lot of this season, especially with some of the Nets rotation, is it's going to be a contest of who benefits or who takes advantage of the, the looks they get because of Kevin and Kyrie. You know, as you said, TLC had to get the, you know, had to earn his benefit of the doubt. Um, and I think there's a lot of guys you can look at that uh that are going to have those options but do they take advantage of them well i'm not going to argue with your starting five prediction and that's kd Kyrie, Karis, harris and jordan but you did mention somewhere in the article 
that Nash is considering a reversal in roles between Levert and Dinwiddie. Is that something you heard from someone inside the team, or is that just speculation? No, he was on a podcast. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but um, maybe it was JJ Reddick's. But um, he, um, I, I have it, I have it in my library. But um, he he talked about, you know, he he looked at Karis Levert as a potential like Manu Ginobili type impact off the bench, and that that was something he was considering. So um, a, a, that'd been a, a couple places too. So um, I I was kind of covering myself there, just in that that you know Steve has talked about the dynamic that Karras could bring off the bench to score. Personally, I think the Nets bench unit as is uh, has all the scoring it needs between Dinwiddie, Torian, Landry Shamit, Jared, all those guys. So I, I don't really, you know, I, I think it's an interesting idea by Steve, but I think that the Nets, the Nets reserves already bring enough scoring punch to where I don't know if it's, if it's necessary. So that, that's kind of where that came from. Interesting. I'm talking with Alex Schiffer of The Athletic, probably the best sports subscription site you can buy. Alex, I guess you're not as high on the signing of Jeff Green as I am, based on I think you gave him a 10 minutes per game projection in your article. And, you know, we both heard Nash say that his best position these days is probably a small ball five. But don't you think we're asking too much out of Durant? If he's the only one on the team who can defend all the big forwards in the league? I mean, and that's did use Torian Prince, Rodion's Karutz, and TLC at the four last season, but that didn't go very well, right? No, it, it didn't. And I, I, like I said earlier, I, I had a really hard time, especially just with the roster as it's currently constructed, trying to find a way to have minutes that makes everybody happy because it, it just it, – there, there's just so many guys they could, that could play. You know, usually your rotation's 9, 10 guys, maybe 11 – they have over a dozen guys that you could make a case for them getting minutes uh, one way or another. And I actually am really high on the Jeff Green signing, um, especially in that, you know, I, I feel like he's the social butterfly of the locker room. You know, he comes in having played for Mike D'Antoni and with DeAndre and Kevin. And I think he brings a lot of interesting in-house knowledge. You know, over the years, it seems like his role with different teams has kind of varied in terms of how much he's played and how much of an, uh, of an impact guy he's been. I, I think for this team, he could be um, a good piece, but I, I kind of went low on that just because I, as you said, you know, as a small ball, as a small ball center, how much, how many of those lineups are they going to need if Jared Allen is on the opening day roster, which, you know, um, as we're talking, you know, obviously um, Russell Westbrook just got traded out of Houston. So now you wonder if, if there's another domino to fall there, but, uh, you know, I think that I think he could be a good, a good piece for this team. It's just I wonder how much would they need him as a small center when they already have DeAndre and Jared there, and and how he gets implemented is going to be very interesting to me. Yeah, well, let's move on to some other stuff. Um, obviously, we talk we talk about trades now because every Nets fan these days that's all they want to talk about. I think three quarters of your Q and A with fans the other day was trade related. So granted that none of us have any inside stuff, but you must have come up with something in your own time researching the whole offseason, you know, something that makes sense for both Brooklyn and a, and a trade partner. So what deal would you pursue if you were Marks? Uh, call me crazy. Um, I think DeMar DeRozan would be an interesting piece. He played on that, those Olympic teams with Kyrie, KD, and DeAndre. I think that you can make a case for the Spurs 
that they might be more interested as a team rebuilding and guys like Torian Prince and Spencer Dinwiddie, guys that um, guys that have ties to San Antonio, Prince being a native, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie buying a house there over the offseason because his longtime girlfriend, Ariel Roberson, is from there. And I think that he would be an upgrade in terms of talent and, and star power, but maybe not the bounty it would require for James Harden. Obviously, Sean Marks is from the Spurs tree and um, and has good relations with that front office. And I think that it would be good for both sides and that DeMar DeRozan, the team's like wants to get out of um, – Wants to get out of San Antonio, you know. I think the uh, excuse me, Torian and Spencer would have you know much bigger roles there, and um, that's something I've been thinking a lot about as a, as a potential fit that maybe isn't being talked about a lot. But you know, when you when you think about it, it would clear some of those playing time spots. We've kind of debated a bit on this, and and again, there is some relationship history there with with Brooklyn star players. Yeah, I just I, I imagine I didn't I haven't seen you put that out there, but uh, I imagine that a lot of Nets fans will give you pushback. But don't worry, I've been getting a lot too because my obsession has been Blake Griffin. Because I don't think that's a bad one. Because I think that you know Detroit won't ask for the moon in terms of future picks. You know you're going to have to give up a lot of pieces. You know Prince Dinwiddie Allen. You know anyone you know who makes uh, money. You don't have to give up Levert, though, but I think you have to give up like four four players. But I think that you know, with Griffin on the team, you know, and assuming he's healthy, assuming the Met, you know the Nets get to check his medical records, that you know that that kind of makes them the favorite. He is, you know, two years ago, last year he was hurt, but two years ago he was what was he All NBA, third team All NBA. Yeah, you know what's funny is um you you kind of read my mind there. I uh I was talking to James Edwards, our Pistons writer, who I think is terrific for anyone listening that that is interested in other NBA teams, and I asked him if he would if he thinks that that would be possible, and he said, you know, as you said, I just pulled it up. Blake Griffin shot in the eighteen nineteen season forty six percent from the field, thirty six percent from three, twenty four and a half points a game, five and a half assists, seven and a half rebounds, and and. He has obviously a long-standing relationship with DeAndre Jordan. They're the best of friends, but I think he fits great into what they do as a, as a stretch four that can shoot threes. They don't really have a lot of guys like that on the roster, and he's, he's built – you know, he's a physical guy. If, if they have – as you said, if the medical checks out, I think that that would be a very interesting deal, especially, you know, Detroit clearly needs help at point guard, and the Nets have like 50 of them. <laughs> yes. So, I, I you know, that's a trade I really like. It's funny, you know, I, I didn't – um, I didn't put out the, the DeMar DeRozan idea when John Hollinger and I kind of did the trade machine a couple weeks ago. Um, he, he thought Rudy Gay made a lot of sense for the Nets, and, and I didn't disagree with him, but I, I thought DeMar had kind of – I thought my point stuck, so we kind of agreed, and, and, you know, he got his way in the Rudy Gay thing and another trade that I had in the mix for that, you know, uh, I got in later in the story. So I, I love the Blake Griffin idea, though, for sure. I, I think that it comes down to the medical, but – they they would be right up there absolutely with him if he were to if they were to be able to get him. Yeah, because we talked about you know all the guards they have. It only makes sense if they do something like a five for two type trade where they give up their quantity to get quality, right? That's yes. the only reason. That's the only way you could play all these guards. Yes, I and and you know coming up with the kind of tying back to the rotation thing, you know. 
the way you look at the roster currently constructed, Steve, I don't know about you, but I just feel like the only way to keep a lot of people happy or, or get the most out of the roster is having a lot of four-out lineups, you know, around DeAndre or Jared. Um, just because they have all these guards that, that can shoot or, or score, and I, I just don't know how you're able to kind of implement them all without some kind of lineup like that. Yeah, but think about, think about who they'll be playing in the playoffs. They're going to have to first guard Ben Simmons. Then they're going to have to guard Giannis. Yes. So are you doing that with Karis LeVert or Joe Harris? No, you're doing that with KD, and then you know, you're really putting a lot on his plate. You know, that, 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 I think, is going to be a tougher adjustment for him than you know, catch and shoots and post-ups because he can get his points you know, anyway. I agree, and, and that's why I'm curious to see if we see any more roster attrition going into the start of the season just because I think, as you said, the, you know, people, I think, forget this. As, you know, as in Golden State, Kevin Durant was more of a rim protector for them on defense than anything else, and obviously they don't need that in Brooklyn where you have Jared or DeAndre, and you know, I thought I, I kind of wondered if I was reading too much into it today, but Steve Nash saying that uh, the other day that he, he expects Durant to guard the fours. I, I kind of wonder if that was an indication as to where he is health-wise and how confident they are in his return, if that's the case. Or if it's easy to say that now and there's another domino falling, that that kind of changes that. But, no, I, I agree completely that as the team's currently constructed, you're asking a lot from him to, to guard the Giannis's of the world and the LeBrons and the people that how many stops they can get on those type of players is going to be the difference between a, a good season and a great one. Yeah, well, I got a couple more for you, if you don't mind, Alex. Absolutely. Because we haven't spoken since the bubble. And yeah. the Nets have a new coach in Nash. And I want to know if you're buying the company line or wonder why, like me, if, if greatness on the court really mattered when it comes time to pick a coach, why are Greg Popovich, Eric Spolstra, and Nick Nurse so good at their jobs when they never even played in the league? Yeah, it's – I was stunned by the hire. I, I don't know about you, but um, I would put that hire right up there with Brad Stevens in terms of stealthness, just out of nowhere, didn't see that coming type of deal. Well, um, here's another one who didn't play in the league, and you know they're he's getting uh, he's getting hit a little bit because he hasn't won with that group yet. But you know most people think he knows what he's doing, but again hasn't played in the league. Steve Nash, the first thing people say, oh, he was great on the court. He was like a coach on the court. So automatically he's going to be a great coach on the sideline. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a fascinating adjustment also just because, I mean, we're, we're going to learn a lot about him, in my opinion, very quickly. I mean, they, they, the reports are obviously the schedule is not official, but they're opening up against Golden State, and then they go right to Boston and what I think is a game that hopefully Kyrie plays in because it would just be bananas. As oh, there'll to, be no crowd. There'll be no crowd. Yeah, yes. But uh, yeah. And, and after being in Boston last year, I'm going to be, I'm, I, I still think it would be good theater, even though it wouldn't be anything close to what it should be with fans. Um, I'm rooting for the storyline, Steve. I'm a reporter, you know, <laughs> That's um, right. um, but um, you know, I, I, I love the staff he has. And I think the biggest thing that it, it seems like he brings to the table is his ability to kind of, um, keep Kyrie and, and KD, um, you know, at ease and, and his ability to kind of manage their personalities. I, I think the D'Antoni hire is crucial with him because, um, you know, I, I personally think that Mike D'Antoni is, is kind of undersold offensively and that people talk about him just with the threes in Phoenix. I mean, he, he's adapted his system to 
the talent he's had historically. And I mean, the last time the Knicks were consistently relevant was with him. And, and he found a way to make it work with Amari and, um, and, and Carmelo Anthony before Amari's health gave out. But um, I, I think that I, I'm curious to see what he does very early on and what adjustments he has to make. But I, I'm skeptical, but I f- I f- I'm a little more at ease as to how we can do because of the staff he has around him. But I, what would happen if a lot of that staff next year gets turned over because he has a lot of guys primed to get head coaching jobs? I'd, I'd be interested to kind of see how he looks without some of these veterans around him that have been in the league a long time and understand everything he's signing up for. So I, I, I'm just as skeptical as the next guy as to how this is all going to work out for him. All right, I'll, I'll leave it at that because we've got one last one for you before I let you go, Alex, because uh, I have a bet with a friend that the Nets make it to the conference finals. Do you think this team has enough to get that far, or does Mark really, ha- Mark's really have to make a move? You know, it's, it's, I, I don't, I don't want to give you a non-answer. I think, it's tough to pre- I think it's tough to realistically project this team's ceiling without seeing what Kevin Durant looks like, given the state of the injuries coming back from and And how does this all fit with all the pieces I, I think on paper right now, the, t- the roster is too imbalanced for me to buy them as a finals contender, but I, I think the goal for the Nets this season should be to make the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that would be the definition of a good year for them, which I think was a smart bet on, on your end. I think in the East, they, they have the potential to make it, but I, I'm skeptical as to what the roster is right now. And as we said, some of the, the lack of defenders and the load they're asking Kevin Durant to carry immediately. Um, Right now, I, I'd feel comfortable about them winning a playoff series, and I would be very interested to see who they would draw in the next round and, and how that would go. So I, I think that the potential is there to be in the conference finals. I'm not, I'm, not going, I'm not touching championship aspirations until we see what they look like on the court. But I um, – no, go ahead. No, that's, that's fair. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I just wanted to see if uh, you thought that – you know, this team really is, is dying to make a move that they, they really should be going for it this year. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting because, see, I've been of the opinion that this year, with it being their first year, everyone's together, should be about seeing how this all fits and who fits and who doesn't and then making adjustments from there. But, you know, as you've looked around the league and you see Milwaukee trading for Drew Holiday and the moves the Lakers have made, you know, clearly it hasn't gotten any easier for them. and and the people saying, you know, they need to, they need to hit the ground running on this. I, I see where they're coming from. I, I just wonder, and again, as we, we talk right now, obviously John Wall's been traded, so maybe we see a couple last-minute moves. But I just don't know who's out there that's in, that, as you said, Blake Griffin would make a ton of sense. But, you know, I, I've been a little um, skeptical on a Bradley Beal trade because, you know, is there enough shots to go around for KD, Durant, and Beal? And, and then defensively, that doesn't really do much for them compared to what they have now, as, as we kind of talked about with who guards the Giannis's and the LeBron's of the world. Um, I, I just don't know if there's a, and even my idea with DeMar DeRozan, that really doesn't address that. So I, I just think that there needs to be a move on defense or even just to kind of clear out some of this, this current roster imbalance and kind of make it more concrete as to who's in what role. But um, I think right now that the, the it's it's not it's not unfair to think they can make the Eastern Conference Finals, but I think you know we all have questions as we've kind of talked about on this as to what does Katie's health look like? How does this work? 
And also, you know, how does this rotation shake out with all these guys you can make a case for to get in? Alex Schiffer of The Athletic, I can't thank you enough for graciously giving me some time today. It's always a great, great spot when I have you on. I, I wish I could say I'll be seeing you soon at Barclays Center, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I'm assuming you're covering home games only. Is that the deal? You know, I, I plan to cover home games. Um, I would like to try and get to a few road games. Um on the I-95 route of, of Philly, Boston, and D.C. as of right now. And I, my case to go to D.C. maybe just got a little stronger with the Russell Westbrook-Kevin Durant reunion now that will take place there. Um, so those are the, the places I'd like to go as of right now. Obviously, we don't have a schedule yet, but maybe things get better towards the end of the regular season and, and I'm able to go a few more places if, if the virus goes down and there's a vaccine. But Right now, I'd like to at least go to those three road spots just to, to get out of the house a little bit. And, and I think there is some good stuff to be written there, especially up in Boston for you know, the, the Kyrie Irving Christmas special. Yeah, pray that the Nets make it deep into June. Alex, best of luck this season, and I'm going to try to keep in touch with you down the road. Thank you. No problem. Keep the Jets tweets coming on Sundays. <laughs> oh, the pain, right? Terrible. All right. Thank you, Alex. Take care, Steve. Well, that was something. Breaking the news to me on the Wall for Westbrook trade in the middle of our conversation on the Nets. Thank you many times over to Alex Schiffer of The Athletic. Great website, not just for Nets fans, but for all your favorite teams. Alex just one of many really good writers they've reeled in. So I always appreciate it when he makes time for me. And now it's time to move along to your questions in the season debut of the Listener Mailbag segment. And to kick things off, here's a trifecta of questions from loyal listener Corey Cantor of at CBC 727. Part one, who do I want on the floor at crunch time? Well, Corey, I guess that depends first on the matchup. But if you're assuming it's against some generic team with a lineup of traditional positions, I'd go with Kyrie, Karras, Harris, Katie, and Jordan. Same as my starting five. Again, you know, maybe you tweak it if you have a matchup problem. You know, something that, like Alex talked about where you need a better defensive presence, whether it's brown or green, where you have to adjust for size. But, you know, I'd go with my own starting five down the stretch of most games. Next, Corey thinks Nets Twitter is a bit too negative. You don't say. So he wants to know what's the team's upside. And again, Corey, I, I can't say for sure that the team that takes the floor for preseason game one will be the same that does in the Eastern Conference quarterfinals game one. I'm on record as saying that I don't think that this team as is has enough bite to go all the way. Maybe conference finals if things break their way, second round exit if it doesn't. And finally, Corey asks, what should the Nets do with Dinwiddie and Allen? And I said before, I can't see how Dinwiddie stays all year and then walks out the door for nothing. You know, Marks hasn't been anywhere near that kind of reckless. And, you know, that's why I was pretty confident he'd re-sign Harris. So I'm guessing Dinwiddie will be traded somewhere along the line. I just don't know where or when. As for Allen, you know, I thought, you know, he'd be one of those who'd have to go in a blockbuster. But, you know, who knows now? You know, I don't see him getting that early extension, though. Remember, you know, he's going to be a restricted free agent after the season, unlike Dinwiddie, who will be unrestricted. 
You know, it'll cost the Nets a pretty penny, but they can match offer sheets for Allen. And if they do, that's how you know that they really like him. So thanks again, Corey Cantor at SCBC727. And thank you at FK3920, who asked me the same question about Allen getting an extension. And I should note that it was pointed out to me last week by my guest, Billy Reinhardt of Nets Daily, that any extension to Allen, you know, would hinder the Nets' flexibility. So I see Mark's waiting until after the season if he's not traded. So uh, next up is at BK Born and Raised. That's N Raised. Who wants to know what's up with Nick Claxton? Sorry, you know, I wish I had more info, but, you know, we haven't heard from Claxton yet. And I'm sure he's going to be on a Zoom call with the media in the next two days. The only thing I can tell you is no one's reported that he won't be ready for camp. You know, if that helps you out at all. And in a similar vein, at Yankees Jets Nets asked if Claxton's role gets elevated this year. Wait, Yankees Jets Nets? Hey, just add devils to that handle and I think we'd be twins. But I digress. Look, you know, Claxton is obviously highly regarded by Nets management. Unfortunately, you know, given what we don't know about his injury and how it impacted his off-season work, shortened as it was, it's unlikely that you'll be seeing a lot of him after the two preseason games. He did show flashes last season, but, you know, he has work to do to get stronger and develop his perimeter shot. You know, barring miraculous growth in those areas, he'll be one of those 12th and 13 guys like Toronto always seems to have. Guys who are probably good enough that they could get minutes on a bunch of teams, but, you know, they just have to learn the ropes on a club with higher aspirations. So that's how I see Claxton this year. And thank you for the question, at Yankees Jets Nets. Got a couple of more, so let's go to loyal listener Femi Akubodejo, who thinks the Nets should heavily load manage Durant like 60% managed load, you know, in the regular season games. Femi, you can absolutely count on the Nets to load manage many players, not just KD. That's just the way they do things. In KD's case, I'd say you're not far off, though, you know, the exact number will depend on the schedule layout, you know, back-to-back, so I'm sure they're a no-no from the performance team. I also think, you know, you'll see him on a pitch count. With his minutes held in check early on and gradually building him up to the low 30s down the stretch. You know, I don't see playoff seeding as a major mission for this team. So he'll get some more time off. So that's how I see it. Thanks for the question, Femi. And finally, Eddie Limage asked if Allen's days are numbered. Because, you know, he's not starting and there's all this talk about the Nets' preferences for small ball lineups like they did in the bubble and then adding Green to the rotation and Mike D'Antoni as an assistant coach. Eddie, I think Allen's status on this team comes down to one thing. How much do the Nets value him compared to what it will cost to resign him if they have to match an offer sheet next offseason? That's it, really. I mean... If they decide that there are too many teams with cap space that can offer Allen a Clint Capella-type contract, averaging around $16 million a year, then you know I think it would behoove Marks to move him out before it reaches that point. 
You know, from what I've heard, the Nets haven't decided one way or the other. You know, barring a mega deal for a superstar, of course. You know, then all bets are off. But you know, as for the Nets' small ball predilections, you know, I wouldn't read too much into the bubble lineups that were, you know, a joke out of necessity. Every guy on the roster over six foot nine was either injured or opted out, you know, due to COVID nineteen infections or concerns about it. And D'Antoni has no influence on the roster. It, Nets under Marks have pretty much always had a traditional center. It's the forwards who have been grossly undersized for years. So I hope that answers your question, Eddie, and thank you and all you listeners who hit me up on Twitter for this segment. And can't wait for the next one. But for now, that's it for this episode of the City Game Podcast. have to thank Alex Schiffer of The Athletic again for a spirited debate on the state of the Nets. Hope you enjoyed it as well. I'll be back sometime before the regular season opener on the 22nd. Nets Warriors, National TV. Who'd have thunk it, right? Anyway, I'll try to line up a special guest to give you a full season preview. So look out for that on my Twitter feed. So until next time, I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.